Amen. Okay, light the path. This is a new series. I told you last Sunday I wasn't exactly sure where we were headed with the next series. But here's the background. We were driving home from church last Sunday, and Lisa said to me, you said something during the message today. You said, this is a life verse for me and Lisa. She said, why don't you elaborate on that and do a series where you elaborate every week about one of our, what we call, life verses. Obviously, every verse in the Bible from Genesis through Revelation are verses of Scripture that are full of life, that are life itself. Uh, we have some verses that have stuck out to us that were a rhema word to us. I'm going to explain what that means if you don't know. At some point in our life and still are a word for us that we apply to every situation we're in and we see victory and it has shaped our life. It has shaped what is now our future. When we heard this verse, it was in the past. It has shaped where we're at now. It'll shape where we're heading in our future. And she said, why don't you take one of those scriptures Instead of just sprinkling all these scriptures into every message or every series, highlight one and focus on one every week. And when she said it, man, it ignited something on the inside of me. I got so excited and the Holy Spirit immediately reminded me of Psalm 119.105 that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When that was written thousands of years ago, those little lamps that was talking about in this verse were not enough to light a path. It wasn't one of those big old spotlights that lights up a construction site or lights up our parking lot when the kids play kickball on Wednesday nights in the dark or when we have our services or or, 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 our, our winter events like trunk or treat. No, this was a lamp that you hold in your hand, and it's about enough to light up your next step. But think about it. To get from point A to point B, you don't need the whole path lit. You don't always need to see a light at the end of the tunnel. It's nice. I enjoy seeing where I'm heading. But if you can see your next step, you at least know you're not going to stumble. You at least know if you're staying on the path or veering off. Some of our biggest problems in life come because we are so ready to see steps 2 through 19. And the Lord's like, just take step 1. In fact, in my own life, when I'm scared to take step 1, it's because I'm looking at step 8 or 9. And I'm like, how am I going to get there? Well, one step at a time. You can't skip steps. If you do, you take risk of stumbling. And his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. That's what this reminded me of. So these scriptures that we're going to talk about weekly are going to be a lamp to our feet if we take them and apply them to our actual lives. We leave here and you have this scripture in your mind. Today we're going to talk about James 3.16. And you're going to think about it. And next time you're in a moment where envy, jealousy, or strife is about to enter your life, you're going to remember this message. You can apply it to that moment and watch victory follow instead of defeat. So that's what we're going to do every week. I'm, I'm really excited. So I mentioned the word rhema. This particular scripture was a rhema word for me and Lisa. In, in the Bible, the New Testament written in Greek, there's two words that, uh, that, that Paul used to describe the word of God, logos and rhema. The word logos describes the entire Bible, the entire scripture, as one complete unit. The word of God is the logos. And then there's a second word for the word, and it is the word rhema. And it is something that comes from either scripture or something God speaks directly to you. And if God speaks it, you better believe it's going to coincide with scripture. That is a rhema word when it speaks to your exact circumstance. It's called a rhema 
word. This is the Logos word of God. Today, I'm going to tell you about a rhema word that God spoke to Lisa and I. And I'm telling you, if you're listening and paying attention, it can also change your life. Why? Because God has no respecter of persons. The word changes my life. It can change your life, right? We all know sometimes the person beside us is a little bit asleep on Sunday mornings, but we're sitting there hearing the word. We're like, how can this word, this is getting me so excited because we have to receive it. We receive different ways. And as a pastor, I mean, I have to not get offended when I see somebody asleep and the person beside them getting it. I just focus on the person who's getting it and hope the other person is, is uh, what's the word? It's the um, osmosis. Maybe they're getting it just by... Uh, being in the room. I don't know if that's really a thing, but James 3.16 is a life verse for Lisa and I, and it can be for you too. Here is what it says. For where envying and strife is, envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. If you've done marriage counseling with Lisa and I or premarital counseling with Lisa and I, you know this scripture. Because we talk about it on day one of our first session where there is envy or strife, there is confusion and every evil work. The background for Lisa and I is 18 or 19 years ago, we had been married for about a year and we drove, I believe, to Winston-Salem to uh, an Andrew Womack meeting just to sit there, worship with, with the people there and hear a word. And Andrew brought this scripture up. And he said, do you have envy in your life? Are you, are you a jealous person? Are you a jealous type? Do you have strife in your life? If so, that is how the enemy is getting a foothold in your life to bring evil work. The devil is the author of, of sickness, confusion, evil work. John 10, 10, I've come to give life, Jesus said, and life abundantly. The enemy comes, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you have anything in your life that is being stolen, if you have anything being destroyed, if you have anything... Uh, being killed, if, if there's death, if there's negative, negative things working in your life instead of the, the, the things the word gives us complete access to, it's because you've either let envy in your life or strife in your life. And after being married for a year, we looked at each other and we, I, I just said to Lisa, we have to get any strife out of our marriage. And we started saying this thing to each other all the time, no strife for no reason. No strife for no reason. It's not worth it. It's not worth being right about who left the toilet seat up or down, right, to let strife come into the room. It's not worth it because of what strife brings and what follows strife. In fact, we're going to talk about Adam and Eve in a little bit when it comes to envy and strife. And we're going to see that this is the same thing the enemy has been trying since the very beginning. He's been trying to steal our authority by getting us into envy and strife. And it's something we can overlook. We wonder why things aren't working in our life. We wonder why things aren't going right. Trace it back to letting envy and strife. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Well, well, how do you know it's envy and strife? Well, every evil work does not belong in a believer's life. Confusion does not belong in a believer's life. For a believer, 1 Corinthians 2.16 that's another life verse. We can know, or, or Paul said this, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Is Christ confused? Is Jesus confused? Do you ever have an instance of him walking around wondering where to go, what to do? Hmm, should I heal this person? Should I love this person? What should I do? Where should we go? How are we going to feed them? No, there's no confusion in the mind of Christ. There's no confusion in the mind of, of the, 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 the God who created all of this. He knows how everything works and he holds it all together. 
There's no confusion in his mind. And Paul says his mind is now inside of the believer. And then John 10.10, I already said this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give life and life abundantly. Every evil work, if you are not sold on what an evil work is, I made a small list. This is a small list of evil work. Would you like to hear what some evil works are in your life? Here is the premise. Here is the boundaries. If it does not belong in heaven, it does not belong on earth. And if it doesn't belong in heaven, it is an evil work. So let's just go down this list. Sickness, disease, injury, illness, pain, jealousy, hate, frustration, confusion, poverty, divorce, loneliness, shame, condemnation, any sin you would like to name, anxiety. These are evil works that do not belong in the life of a believer. Yet, in our unperfect state, we have chances to allow these in our lives all the time. And chances are, if we've been alive for any length of time, we've allowed some of these into our lives. It's not God. It's not the Lord trying to teach us a lesson through any of these. He'll teach us something through anything even if we allow it in our lives, but he does not send any of these evil works to teach us lessons. You don't find any instance of Jesus saying to the leper, I'm going to let you live with this for a little bit longer so you can learn a lesson. You don't see Jesus going up to a well person and saying, oh, you don't know about giving? I'm going to let you be sick for a little while. Here's some sickness to teach you this lesson or that lesson. That's not how he works. He doesn't do that. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy and bring these evil works. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Where there is envy or strife, there is confusion and every evil work. If you would like to get imaginative with me, do you know those bubbles, those big uh, plastic clear bubbles that you can get now and you can get inside of them? And you see videos of people that get in these big plastic bubbles and you push them around and you kick them around and they can jump in the water. And it's, it's just like this little bubble, these clear plastic bubbles. You can at least picture it, even if you've never seen it. But when you get saved, the promises of God are like... From the inside out, this like protective bubble that shields you from all attacks of the enemy. The only way he can get to you is if you, from the inside, start poking holes in that bubble and giving him access. That is what we do. And we do it through envy and strife. And you see it from the very beginning. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect state. They lived in a perfect garden. Right? And somehow the enemy, uh, through a serpent, gets into this garden. And here's what he says to them first. Uh, Did God really tell you not to eat from this tree? Well, yeah. He said we can eat from all the other trees, but not this one. So if everything that exists now existed in the garden, so what was there, like 10,000 trees in the garden, but one they couldn't eat from? And he didn't say, hey, so God gave you 9,999 trees to eat from. He said, there's one you can't? Wouldn't you like to have the fruit from that one? Doesn't that sound a little bit like envy? Right? Here's what envy means. This is the definition. Desire to have a quality possession or other desirable attributes belonging to someone else. In this case, the thing off limits, and it's the one thing he put their focus on. Wouldn't you like to have this? I wonder why you can't. Right? And here's why you can't. This is what he said. Because God says, if you eat it, you'll be like him. It's kind of a good thing to want to be like God, right? But in this instance, he tried to get envy working in Adam and Eve's life. And they looked at God, and they would have thought something like this. Well, there is something about him that we don't have. Hindsight, 
we know that what he had they didn't have was the knowledge of good and evil. What a ridiculous thing to want. But you know, half the time when we want something, it's not a real something anyway. It's somebody's portrayal on Instagram. It's somebody's portrayal of what they have on Facebook or whatever it is, right? We already have what we're supposed to have, and it's a good thing. But if he can get us in envy, it opens the door to confusion and every evil work. What happened next? Did God really say, if you touch it, you'll die? Well, no, not really. There was some confusion. There wasn't confusion before. But envy steps in and confusion follows. And then what follows after that? They eat the fruit and every evil work followed. Every evil work and confusion had no authority over Adam and Eve until they gave that authority to the enemy, starting with envy. And we do the same thing as New Testament believers. He has no right to bring confusion into our life. He has no right to put sickness on us, to lead us into depression, to lead us into anxiety. We are the ones with the authority, but we give the authority away through envy, through strife. You know, I, I, I hear this a lot. I've got single friends, and I've talked to people over the years who are single, and when you see a married couple and it is appealing and it's, it looks great, man, I'd love to be like that. You have a choice in that moment to allow the Lord to put some inspiration in your heart, to give you something to look forward to. His promises are yes and amen. If you desire a family, he wants that for you. It is a good thing to look at a married couple and think, oh, I want that. I want something like that. It is a bad thing to look at a married couple and say, I want that exact thing. That's exactly what I want, right? Maybe it's the person, and, and you go after that. That's not right, right? Or maybe it's even just the idea of this. The, nothing is perfect, right? But it's this idea, this portrayal. I want this exact thing. Envy can step in, and it can bring a ton of confusion. Well, this person that God brought into my life is not exactly like this other person. It's because the other person is that other person. God's bringing you somebody for you. Let those moments inspire you rather than lead you to envy and jealousy. Instead of confusion setting in, inspiration will set in. Instead of confusion setting in, uh, uh, God will give you a picture of something you can picture for yourself and your future and allow him to lead you to it. Uh, again, Lisa and I experienced this. I'm so glad that we heard Andrew speak about this verse. Where there is envy or, con or confusion, where there is envy or strife, there's confusion and every evil work. 18 years ago, so we've been married for two years, and we drove to Greensboro for a worship night with Jonathan and Melissa Helser. And man, they have a powerful ministry. They're awesome worship leaders, awesome songwriters. And we get to this worship night. At the time, we'd been serving in church right here at our church. We were youth leaders. We were worship leaders. Um, and uh, we, we, we felt a little bit alone during times like that, right? We'd there wasn't many folks our age. There wasn't really anybody here at church that we would have called or considered a close personal friend. There was obviously acquaintances. Yes, friends. Uh, it just there wasn't a deep, deep connection with people who were a little bit close to our age that we could do things like this with. And we are watching them lead worship, and we're worshiping. And surrounding them on the stage was a group of people a little bit younger than them 
who were leading worship with them, doing ministry with them. They all actually did life together as well. They lived close to each other. They were friends who came together and did ministry together. And when we were in that moment, watching this happen, experiencing it, the Holy Spirit put such a fire and excitement in our heart. And we both heard him say, this is something I'm calling you to. This is part of your future. We drove home rejoicing. We were so excited on that hour and a half drive home at like two in the morning on a Saturday night. We knew we had to be here early the next day too, but it was worth it. We had a fire in our heart and an excitement. In that moment, in the natural, our life didn't look anything like that. But we knew he was calling us to that. We knew he was showing us for a reason. And about a year later, the Holy Spirit reminded me of that night. And he said, the enemy would have tried to get you into jealousy that night. The enemy was, would have tried to get you to ask these questions. Why is this happening for them and not us? Why are they doing ministry surrounded by their friends and we feel alone? Why are they doing this and you're not? Why them and not me? The Lord said, that's what the enemy tries to get people to in that moment when I'm trying to inspire. Now, here we are, 18 years after that moment. The staff here at church, the people that serve, are our closest friends. Young, a little bit younger than us that we spent years and have spent years pouring into. And now we do life together. We do ministry together. It is fun, right? We don't feel alone at all. 18 years later. And here's what I believe. If in that moment we would have chosen envy jealousy, looking on stage and saying, why them and not us? Why are they doing ministry with their friends and we're alone? I believe it would have brought confusion in our lives and at the very least postponed what we're doing right now and what we've been doing for the past seven years. But we are seeing the exact thing the Holy Spirit inspired us with 18 years ago. So what is it in your life that the Lord has shown you, right? Maybe it's somebody who's doing something that you're called to do and you see it. And, and you know for a fact when you see this happening, you have a choice. You can look at it, and sometimes your flesh says, why? Why them and not me? I want to tell you, there is a spirit on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit, who is telling you, look at it. Look at it and let the Lord, let me inspire you. This is part of what you're called to do. Here's the thing. You're not called to do what they're doing. They're called to do what they're doing. You might be called to something similar, but it's going to look like something unique from your heart that God's doing. Throw away the envy. Throw away the jealousy. Say no. Just say no. Right? That slogan, we know the drugs, like the slogan, just say no to drugs. Just say no to the envy. Just say no to the jealousy. If it takes a bit of a fast to cut off the jealousy, then fast. Fast the social media if you can't turn it on and not get jealous. Fast whatever it is that you see that leads you to those moments. But allow the Holy Spirit to inspire you where the enemy would try to lead you to envy and jealousy. You don't need to look at somebody who want what they have. Look at it. Ask the Holy Spirit, are you showing me this for a reason? Is this highlighted to me for a reason? It might take some time. In fact, it will take some time. But when you get there, man, you'll already have rejoiced knowing that you'd be there. We've experienced this firsthand. We're experiencing it now. We're living in it. And we're so grateful. I, I tell these guys all the time, the staff, the ministers here, I tell them all the time, y'all don't understand, this is the dream for us. You guys, we're living the dream with y'all, and we're so grateful. And it goes back to that moment 18 years ago, where there is envy or strife, there is confusion and every evil work. It's a truth that we can apply right now to where we're at. 
and see immediate results. So that's envy. We've talked about envy. Let's talk about strife. This is a good one. Strife. Can we live without strife, right? Can we? Some of us are thinking, I don't know, I never have, right? But why not? Why can't we? Here's what strife is. This is the definition. Angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues. Conflict. Know this. It didn't say differences over fundamental issues. It didn't say disagreement over fundamental issues. It says angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues equals strife. If you have any relationship on this earth, a close friend, a spouse, a coworker, a boss, a sibling, I can guarantee you 100% there are and will be disagreements. But you know, disagreements aren't strife. And that is a lesson I wish we could download into every young married couple or every couple. Disagreements aren't strife. You know, we talk about becoming one in the church and as a married couple, two do become one. That is something we believe. However, there are still two brains involved, two individual people who think differently and don't really have to agree on everything. Did you know you can be married to a person and not agree about everything? Did you know you can have a close friend and not agree about everything and that doesn't have to equal strife? It's just the truth, right? It's just the truth. Strife, angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues. When we heard Andrew Womack speak that 19 years ago, when we started telling to the no strife for no reason, something incredible happened. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm telling you the truth. We just decided that was it. And for the next nine months, we did not have one argument, not one angry or bitter disagreement for nine months. And it was awesome. We saw the Lord do powerful things. And he wasn't waiting on us to get in a to get strife out before he released things into our life. No, we began to receive things that he'd already done at a greater capacity because we weren't wasting our time with strife or allowing every evil work into our life through strife, right? When you concentrate on the task at hand, you can get a remarkably amount more done than when your mind is everywhere else. And as a believer, when we cut out envy and strife, I'm telling you, you'll see more good stuff accomplished in your life than you ever have before. Why? Because we're not holding the Lord back, right? The Bible says that the children of Israel limited him. They limited him by not remembering what he had done for them. We still limit God. We still limit God as we allow envy and strife into our life. We got to get over some of these evil works before we can see him move fully. We're tying his hands by allowing envy and strife into our life. We went nine months without any type of bitter disagreement and I'll tell you how funny, the, how funny it is to give in to the enemy. You know, if you give him an inch, he'll want to take the whole mile, right? You give the enemy an inch, he'll try to take everything. Can't give him any foothold whatsoever. I think, I don't remember the exact thing, but here's what I think happened after nine months. We've been married for like a year and nine months. And Lisa's folding laundry. And I looked over and I said, hey, can you please start to fold my shirts the way my mom used to fold my shirts? What a stupid thing to say. And if you're not married and you're like, well, why was that stupid? Just take my word for it. If you're not married, just take my word for it. Never, as a man, ask your spouse to do anything the way your mama used to do it. 
So I'll tell you what will follow. Oh, that's fine. Why don't you just go let your mom fold your laundry then? Why don't you just go back to her house? Let her do your laundry. It opened the door to a bitter and angry disagreement. And do you know what followed? In my own life, so much guilt and condemnation. There was this nagging voice in my brain saying, you couldn't do it. You couldn't keep strife out. You couldn't do it. You failed. Now you've given the enemy a huge foothold. And I, I was getting down. I was feeling it. And you know what happened that night when I was laying in bed? I put my focus somewhere else. Instead of the failure, I put it back on the Lord. And I said, man, Lord, thank you for giving us this word. Lisa and I had already apologized to each other. I, I said, Lord, thank you for giving us this word. We're going to keep strife out. And you know what I heard his voice say? You're doing great. You just went nine months without allowing strife in. That was awesome. Go nine more. Go even further. There's always a voice out there saying you didn't do enough. Right? Always. When I was 15 and I'd wake up in the morning at 5 to read the Bible. I would have a voice in the inside saying, why not earlier? Why don't you get up at 445? Can you not do that? But there was another voice saying, I'll take the word that you're reading and I will use it to shape your life. No strife for no reason. When it happens, get over it. Get past it. Move on. Right? It can be something as goofy as the shirt folding. But you know, it always has to do with our responses. Our responses are, are, are if you really, I guess if you look back, if you were at the end of your life and you were to look back on your life, I guess on the surface, your entire life is just created by a series of responses. That's what life is. How do you respond? If you're the kind of person that responds fired up and angry and frustrated all the time, don't waste any more time. Don't look back at your life and, and, and I was just a very frustrated person. I was just a very angry person. It's responses. Responses are so important. Uh, also there in the first few years of our marriage, we had this cat. And I'll never forget. I mean, if you've ever had an animal, which at the time I really had never had an animal. Lisa's never not had an animal. We counted how many pets we've had in our lifetime recently, like a few weeks ago. I've had six and two of them were mice. One was a guinea pig. And two were a fish. Two, one was a fish and one was and our dog. Lisa, has, we got to 78 and she had to stop counting. 78 pets. Well, when we got married, one of those pets was this cat. And the cat had an accident and I flipped out. So much so that Lisa did the cardinal rule of what not to do in marriage. She called my mama another mama story, called my dad and said, your son's flipping out. I don't know what to do. And my dad came to our house at like 3 in the morning with, with cleaner and cleaned our bed and calmed me down. But that response was ridiculous. You're laughing. I'm laughing. But how many times have we flipped out over something like that? How many times have we allowed strife into our life and we think, well, I'm just, I don't, I'm not used to pets. I'm not used to cats. Whatever it is, you're not folding my shirt right. I don't care if it's a big thing or a little thing. It's just not worth it. Why? Because you have authority over every evil work. And I don't care if strife is coming into your life through a shirt folding incident or a cat urination incident. <laughs> Wherever the strife is coming from, I promise you it's not worth it. 
give the enemy an inch, he's not going to be satisfied. He's going to take a mile. He's going to do his best to come in and bring, I don't know what, how it works all the way. I don't know how he can bring every evil work. All I know is that James 3.16 says, if we as believers have confusion in our lives, it is not the will of God. And we have authority over confusion. If we're confused about anything, trace it back to envy or strife. If there is any one of these evil works at work in our life, we have authority over them. If you want to know how it's happening, why it's happening, it's not God. It's us. It's me. It's you. Who are we going to actually, do you actually think God is at fault? It actually gives me peace of mind to think I'm the one at fault. And the God I serve is actually really as good and as big as he says he is. So I don't want this to sound harsh. If you take it harsh, then it's okay. Sometimes we might, we might need to hear it harshly. But if there is sickness in your life, trace it back to either envy or strife. If there's disease or injury in your life, trace it back to envy and strife. If there's illness, pain, or jealousy, hatred in your life, it can be traced back to envy or strife. If there's frustration, confusion. Well, how can you say that? Well, the Lord spoke to me recently about Romans 8.28. He makes all things work for the good for those that are in Christ Jesus. I was running late for a meeting, and I was so frustrated. And I, hold, I heard the Holy Spirit say, if you really believed Romans 8, 28, you wouldn't be frustrated right now. If you really believed it, you wouldn't be frustrated. I know I believe this, right? But I was frustrated. So there's evidently some unbelief. And I had a come-to-terms moment with myself. And I just said, I guess I just don't. Believe it all the way. Lord, help my unbelief. Right? Lord, help my unbelief. I'm not ever going to stand in front of y'all and tell you I've made it all the way and I'm perfect. We're all in this together. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I think part of the reason that story is in the word because God wanted us to see it's not always just black or white. It's not I believe it or I all the way don't believe it. No. There's an element. There's some in-between ground. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When I start to get frustrated, remind me of your word, how real it is, how real it is and how real it can be when I apply it to my life. Let's get that frustration out. If there's confusion in your life, it can be traced back to envy or strife. If there's poverty in your life, it can be traced back to envy or strife. Jesus became poor. Man. He became poor so we could be rich. He became sickness so we could be well. He became sin so that we could be forgiven. There's loneliness, there's shame, there's condemnation. If sin runs rampant in your life, it can be traced back to envy and strife. It's that important. What the Lord means for inspiration the enemy will use if you allow him to lead you to envy and jealousy. And any moment out there, he would love to lead you into strife, whether it is about folding shirts, disagreements about politics, religion, whatever it is. There is a difference between disagreements and disagreements that involve strife, and we all know it. And I think most of us know it as we're typing the response or saying the response or looking at somebody in the eyes. I got a feeling most of us intelligent people in here know 
I'm about to enter a world of strife. Sometimes we know the person we can't even have a regular disagreement with. Just avoid that. The Lord will bring up an occasion for you to have a real talk if it's needed. But God spoke this to Lisa and I, and it is something that we have lived by now for the 19 years since we've heard it. And I'm telling you, we're not perfect. We're on a journey, just like all of us in here. We're on our way. There are times every day we have opportunity to enter into strife. But you have to make a different choice. The choice is up to you. The power is in your hands. The authority belongs to you because of Jesus. Where there's envy or strife, there's confusion in every evil work. It's that simple. It's that simple. If you think it's more complicated, I've never seen a complicated method work. If you have, tell me about it. But if your complicated way hasn't worked, try the simple. Try the simple way. Cut out the envy and cut out the jealousy. Cut out the strife. Just say no. Walk away if you have to. It'd be better if you can say good things. But if you can't say anything good, see, y'all know it. It'd be better to say good things. But maybe if you're not there, just shut the mouth, zip the lip. It's not more important for you to be right than it is for you to stay out of strife. I'm getting to the point in faith, I'm getting there, right, where I am going to care way more about saying no to strife than being right. And if someone's a believer especially, man, they have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. It's not my job to correct. I don't care who it is. My job to love, hopefully if we're having a good conversation, we can lead each other into correction and things like that. But if it's entering strife, get it out. Because strife is opening the door to every evil work. How about the verse? I'll close with this and invite the worship team up. Matthew 24, 43, this is the words of Jesus. And he says, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Is that basic? That's pretty basic. Why does Jesus say this? Why does he feel the need to say, if a burglar told you he was coming to your house, you wouldn't sit there and leave the door open, would you? I'm telling you, there's a burglar coming to your house. He's a thief. He's real. And he comes with a purpose to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we open the door and give him a full invitation into the house when we enter into envy or strife. And think about that. Next time that moment hits, next time that shirt-folding incident comes up, remind yourself that this is the equivalent of me going to the front door, opening it wide, and saying, all right, thief, come on in. I got a nice TV in there, and there's a PlayStation, but you might want that. There's a, there's a box upstairs where I got some cash. Uh, you can have that. There's this or that. Grandma's silverware is in the top drawer, and it's real silver. Everyone says it's worth like $8,000. You can have all of it. That's what strife does. That's what envy does. You have the authority. You have the power. From the very beginning, the enemy knew, I can only get to them 
if I steal their authority. I'll do it through envy. I'll do it through strife. I can only steal their authority now because of Jesus. If I get it through envy, if I get it through strife, just say no. No strife for no reason. Where the enemy is throwing jealousy up in your face and envy, take a moment and say, Lord, what are you showing me? Is this, is this uh, hitting my heart? Because what I'm seeing here is something you've called me to see. Something you've called me to do. And where there was jealousy and envy, I'm telling you, it'll become inspiration. And you'll drive home from a worship event rejoicing. And then after some time, you'll look around and you'll say, oh my gosh, I'm living in the thing I saw 18 years ago. I'm living in it. And it's a much better version because it's what the Lord has done through you and with you and around you. Man, let's all stand together. Saying no to envy and strife is, is a moment-by-moment moment commitment. It's not, it's not a grand gesture where you flush the drugs down the toilet or whatever and you, 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 you cut off relationships or where you find stuff. No, no, it's, it's a moment-by-moment moment decision that you're going to have to make as soon as you leave here, maybe. As you sit down for lunch or as you watch the game tonight with a Eagles fan or with a Chiefs fan and you have a, a chance to argue about whatever. But I want to challenge you to make that decision. Make that decision to say no to strife. It's not more important to be right. It's not more important to have your shirts folded the right way, to have no messes in the house. It's not as important as saying no to strife. Right, so here's Maybe the smallest act of faith we can make. I just want you to simply raise your hand if you've heard something that you're going to apply to your life today. Come on. I see somebody waving their hands. That's good. Come on. Okay, this is an act of faith. Just putting your hand up and say, I'm going to apply this. So here, after our act of faith, let's just take a moment. Let's put our attention on the Lord. Let's worship then I'm going to come up and I'll close this out. I'll invite our prayer ministers up here in a moment. But don't take it lightly. Don't take even just lifting your hand up and saying, I'm going to apply this lightly. I believe that's a real thing we just committed to. I have my hand up too. Let's worship here for a few minutes.